This is Earth Files, the award-winning news site with the latest updates in science, environment, and real X-Files. Podcasting in-depth reports beyond the 6 o'clock news by Emmy Award-winning journalist Linda Moulton Howe. everyone here and around the world. As we begin the month of February 2023, a new important book has been released entitled A New Science of Heaven by UK Professor Robert Temple. Here, Professor Temple on the right is in front. The subtitle of the book is How the New Science of Plasma Physics is Shedding Light on Spiritual Experience. Professor Temple has written more than a dozen books translated into 44 foreign languages. And here he is on the right in front of the Sphinx in Cairo, Egypt. He has been a member of the Egypt Exploration Society since the 1970s. He is also a fellow of the UK's Royal Astronomical Society and a visiting professor of history and philosophy of science at Tsinghua University in Beijing, China. Each of his groundbreaking works, and the first one that I read is The Serious Mystery, was Earth visited by intelligent beings from a planet in the Sirius star system, first published in 1976. That was followed by another edition in 1987 that I have read more than once in compelling detail research about a Mali Africa tribe that has knowledge about the star Sirius, Professor Temple hypothesizes there is an ancient historic link between extraterrestrials from that bright star Sirius eight light years from Earth to the Sphinx pyramids and obelisk civilizations of Egypt and Mesopotamia thousands of years ago. And then a third edition of The Serious Mystery was released in 1998 with new scientific evidence of alien contact 5,000 years ago. It's available now at Amazon Books, where you can search by typing 1998 edition of The Serious Mystery. And now he provokes once again with a new way of looking at the whole universe that is 99.999% plasma. So what is plasma? MIT's Plasma Science and Fusion Center says, quote, plasma is superheated matter so hot that the electrons are ripped away from the atoms forming an ionized gas. Plasma comprises over 99% of the visible universe, close quote. And what ionizes gas? very high heat. Every sun in the billions of galaxies in this universe are all plasma. And yet, plasma has no atomic structure like liquids, solids, and gases, the three states of atomic matter. That's why plasma is called the fourth state of matter beyond liquids, beyond solids, beyond gases. It is everywhere in this universe and created in every star where high temperatures tear apart molecules. For example, our Earth's sun is about 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit on its surface. That high temperature causes molecules to collide so violently that they are broken apart into individual atoms. And then the negatively charged electrons are knocked completely off the atoms. At that point, the hot gas stripped of electrons reaches a plasma state that can be affected by both electric and magnetic fields. After the positively charged ions and electrons of a plasma are knocked off the atoms, they can create long-range electric fields. The interaction between the ions and the electrons form an electric current, and that current is the source of a magnetic field. The fact that a plasma can generate electric and magnetic fields and then be affected by them 
gives rise to a wide variety of new phenomena for which there is no parallel in the other three states of atomic matter. Beyond suns, other forms of plasma are lightning. Around the world, there are over three million flashes every day. That's around 44 strikes every second. The magnetosphere and solar wind that flow past Earth are also ionized gas plasmas, which can conduct electricity and create beautiful glowing auroras. Comets are plasmas too. This photograph of the huge and beautiful Comet West was back in August 1975. This plasma comet was so bright that scientists could study it in full daylight. Other plasmas are interstellar gas clouds and the Kordalewski dust plasma clouds between Earth and the Moon, Earth's ionosphere, and back on Earth, welding arcs, neon signs, and fluorescent lights are also plasmas. And Professor Temple would add to this list human souls. As described in the book, some scientists even sense that plasma is alive. Could you elaborate on that? Yes, in a way, that's the whole crux of everything. Plasma is not made of atoms. Therefore, the universe is not made of atoms. Because as you pointed out, the universe is 99.99% plasma and not atoms. Plasma is made of particles, which are smaller than atoms. The types of things that constitute plasma are, on the one hand, electrons, which are negative charge, and they make electricity. Then there are protons, which are positively charged, sometimes called protonicity. And then the third part of plasma is what they call ions, I-O-N, ions. What is an ion? It's an incomplete atom. That is, when particles come together and they start to make something resembling an atom, but the charges aren't balanced, too many or too few electrons, and so it's not a complete atom. An atom, in order to be an atom, to form an element, has to have balanced charge. That is, the positive and negative are equal. Ions don't have that. Everything about plasma is charged. It's electromagnetic forces and it's positive and negative charge and their interactions. So we're dealing with plasma, which is the basic matter of the universe, and it is matter, but it isn't atomic matter. It isn't physical. So it's a whole universe of plasma, and we live on a rocky planet, and our bodies are made of physical matter, but we ourselves are what's known as bioplasma entities, which are alive. And when we leave our bodies behind dying... The body, which I call a smart overcoat, has worn out, and we have to leave it. And we revert to the plasma world. I read in your book that in clouds of plasma, scientists have confirmed that plasma can evolve into double helix patterns. Absolutely. In fact, the transmission of electricity through space in the filaments is spirals then they have counter-rotating double helixes of electricity shooting through the filaments between all the stars and even between the galaxies. And some of these filaments can be 100 million light years long. We're talking about the structure of the entire universe. And so we're talking about consciousness being self-generated when you get these plasma entities. And it means the sun must be intelligent. And the universe must be intelligent because it's made of plasma. So yes, the plasma universe is alive. And each of us is alive because we're bioplasma beings. And we're only temporarily here in these overcoats. I would love to go more deeply into this aspect of your book, which is plasma research that is known as biophoton emissions from humans that you call the death flash and the life flash which seem to me to also be pointing in the direction that our very souls could be plasma. Oh, yes. When I talk about bioplasma cells, I'm talking about what is called soul or using religious terminology. 
everyone can see the life flash on YouTube videos because there is a flash at the moment of conception of the sperm and the egg, and it's been filmed. And so that's very easy for people to see. Just go to YouTube or go on Google and type in light flash at conception, and you'll get film done in the lab of this flash of light that occurs when conception occurs. The death flash is more difficult to see because it's normally just seen when people are actually dying. But what you tend to see is that mist comes out of their mouths or nose and rises up to the ceiling and disappears when people die. And I have a whole chapter about this. So when you get light spontaneously emitted by our bodies, it's called a biophoton for the reason that it's coming from a biological entity. The body emits photons spontaneously. And in my book, there are photographs taken by a professor in the Netherlands who took photographs in the complete dark, and you have to wait for a good couple of hours for residual warmth to appear. And then you photograph the light that's emitted by the body. You can see the very spooky images, which are created by light emitted by the body. It's not coming from outside, because these people are in hermetically sealed places that are 100% dark. And you build them up over a period of a few hours, and you get an image of the body. And one of the interesting things that you find is that there are streams of light along the paths of the acupuncture meridians. And so there's obviously energy flowing along the acupuncture meridians, which the Chinese somehow intuited. We can now prove this is true because the imagery shows the light streaming along these meridians. It's the same thing that the Chinese call qi. It's not the same as electricity. It goes along these channels in the body, which are not the same as the blood vessels. That's what biophotons are. And when we die, just as a light bulb suddenly goes very bright before it burns out, the body has a tremendous flash of light from the biophotons that are expiring as we are forced to leave the physical body. There is this death flash. And there's quite a lot been published about it in scientific papers, and I summarize that. And is the death flash, from your point of view now, the same as, let's say, an energetic imprint directly from the soul that is leaving the biological container? Yes. And it's full of information. In fact, it is you that's in that death flash. What is the true relationship between the souls in Homo sapiens and the thought that dwells in the light? quoting from the Nag Hammadi. Yes, you could say that light is all, and there's definitely information in the light and in the plasma, because the plasma can generate intelligence, and that's us. We're talking about the spirit being permanent, and since you can't ever die, you have to learn to come to terms with what are you going to do with yourself forever, other than improve. There's only one way to go, and that's up. If you go down, it will be unbelievable torment. And why, though? Why should a plasma universe have any opinion or bias, so to speak, of light versus dark, love versus hate? To me, we still don't have an answer to why the yin and yang is such a metaphor for this universe. Well, you've hit a good question there, Linda. I do believe in the higher and higher frequencies, which basically become what you could call higher and higher spheres of being. But the thing is that there are higher and higher levels. And what we think of as heaven is certainly a big step up. All the religions of the world speak of angels. And those could be plasma beings. Oh, definitely. Oh, yes. I know that there are plasma beings who are equivalent to what we call angels. Why do you think that only a small percentage of people seem to remember reincarnative lives? Because we're given amnesia when we're born, because we have to have it. Otherwise, we wouldn't get on with this one. I have a terrible feeling we're reaching a kind of crescendo. The conflict between good and evil on our planet and in our societies is reaching a fever pitch largely because of the electronic communications, social media, and so on. The fact that we're all basically 
connected electronically now, instant communication, there's no escape from that. And this has resulted in us reaching a kind of tipping point. And what we all have to do is try to tip it in a good direction, because if it goes the other way, Earth will become a hell. It's a kind of mass insanity and the wrong way to go. Of all of the death flashes that you have read in the research behind your book, which one haunts you that it seems to be the closest to proving that there is a plasma soul that survives biological death? An American soldier who was fighting in World War II in dugout trenches, and the soldier beside him was blown up and died. The soldier could see the mist rising from him. And I think the mist encouraged him to keep going and saved his life. So this dead man was reaching out to save his comrade. It really does matter whether you act from compassion or hate. That's fundamental. That's what it's all about. And as Professor Temple said, we might have deliberate amnesia at birth in order to live a new life cycle. But in the past year, there have been reports of new research about what happens in the brain at the moment of death, like this BBC News headline that I'm holding in my hand. Quote, life may actually flash before your eyes on death, says new study. New data from a scientific accident has suggested that life may actually flash before our eyes as we die. A team of scientists set out to measure the brain waves of an 87-year-old patient who had developed epilepsy. But during the neurological recording, he suffered a fatal heart attack, offering an unexpected recording of a dying brain. It revealed that in the 30 seconds before and after, the man's brain waves followed the same patterns as dreaming or recalling memories. Brain activity of this sort could suggest that a final recall of life may occur in a person's last moments, the team wrote in their study published in Frontiers in Aging Neuroscience. And it seems to me that every week now I am seeing also reports that are coming in about new pills, new medicine, in which we will be able to live 150-year lives. And the complexity of all of that at the human level put up against this gigantic universe of all the stars, suns, plasma, 99.999%, not atomic matter, but plasma. And don't you begin to hear those echoes of other news headlines in the last few years? Maybe we really are in a holographic universe. And if we are, who made it? Who's projecting it? And why? Ian, welcome. Hi, Linda. Thank you very much. Okay, you... Linda. Yeah. We've got a lot of we've got a people in from all over the United States and Canada this evening, all over Europe, including Switzerland, Belgium, France and Germany, Australia, New Zealand, South America, Chile, Barbados, Puerto Rico, and also Northern Ireland, Scotland and England and Wales. So thank okay. you. We're all tuning in and we're all anxious to uh, to learn more. Christina Ledesma Jimenez says, yes, there is a mist or white residue when people and pets pass on. Is that a sole res residue? The white that might come out of the mouth or the nose or the glow in the body, that there's more and more research on that. So the fact that we would be a, a form of a bioplasma being and these biophoton studies, they're beginning to come more and more to the same kinds of conclusions. And it seems that out of this research uh, that a whole lot of questions that people have always had about the relationship between life and death and the issue of the soul 
it is becoming clearer and clearer. Do you not think this is true, Ian, that the, the concept is no longer something on a, just a printed page, the concept of a soul? It is becoming more and more vivid in the evolution of humans on this planet, that that might be the most important part of us. That's right. And the audience are with you on this tonight. Uh, Christina says, thank you for the amazing show and interview. You're asking all the right questions. Thank it's you. It's so fantastic to hear this coming out and being mainstream now. Well, thank you. I find this to be some of the most fascinating research. And I remember that the first uh, day, because I think I spent hours with our uh, Professor Temple's The Serious Mystery, the uh, second edition in 1987. And that book was just like somebody took me and said, the universe, we're not alone. Everything is hidden. And it was like a pivot moment in my entire life was reading Professor Robert Temple's The Serious Mystery. And to look at where we are today and the fact that we still haven't cracked open, we're not alone in the universe with as much uh, evidentiary material, both firsthand and uh, otherwise, seems strange. And so it's wonderful to know that you in the audience and around so many countries tonight, this is fantastic, that you recognize also the importance and that we all, every human, should be doing as much study as they can on the new research that is indicating that there is more to us than the body, that the soul and the spirit are the part that probably keep us going. And then what is the relationship between that and the extraterrestrial entities that manipulated DNA in already evolving primates on this planet to create a series of humanoids of which Cro-Magnon, Homo sapiens, sapien, us, are one of those experiments. It's all becoming so exciting to me personally that I find the complexity that is beginning to roll out in front of us makes me want uh, to cry with joy that at least we're getting complexity instead of lies and complete policies of denial. What else yeah. have you got, Ian? Well, before we came on air tonight, we were, I was talking with Barbara Lamb, and we were talking about exactly the same thing and the convergence of the reincarnation and also the, yeah. uh, the, um, the, the alien abduction uh, experience and how a lot of this is connected. So this is really good stuff. Uh, we've also got co a couple of references to the Shroud of Turin. Yes. Uh, the death flash is also equal to the resurrection flash that created the Shroud of Turin, says Sherat Yosef. Yes. And I can add at least a footnote. I wish that I had evidentiary material that would prove it. But uh, back when I was uh, still in Denver, there was a group from, I think they were from the Jet Propulsion Lab in California, and they got uh, the Catholic Church's permission to go and study the Shroud of Turin. And I think all that's public. Uh, the part that was in a private conversation with me a few years after that, I was told that the the stains that make the body on the linen, we all know from various research that the actual interaction that uh, discolored uh, the linen is only in the upper, it was one ten thousandth or something of a fibriol, the, those little hairs that come up off of linen, and that that's where the impact of the energy left the imprint, and that the blood, as I understand it, from uh, talking with these uh, military people, that the blood was, I believe, an AB negative, an ABRH negative, and that it matched in the, in, uh, it's in northern, I think it's northern Spain, 
there is a church that is supposed to have the cloth of Oviedo, is what they call it, that would have been put over the Christ face uh, because that was part of the ritual. And that that material that, that went over the face is in a drawer <clears throat> in northern Spain and that it matches the blood of the Shroud of Turin. As I said, I wish I had uh, evidentiary material. I just have discussions. But I think it is worth sharing in the context of doing uh, this subject that this planet, this civilization of humanity, has had demonstrations, educations, in very odd ways, trying to make us go in certain paths. And certainly one of the most impactful of all the events on planet Earth would be what happened in that cross. How do these all fit together? What is the relationship of the avatars to the holographic projectors if we're in a holographic universe? And as I raised with Professor Temple in my uh, interview with him, why are we in a universe in which the yin and the yang symbol seems to represent so much of the struggle, at least what humans experience. And then you get to the question, are we in a universe that was created specifically to be a university for souls? And that's why it's projected. That's why the yin and yang is so strong. This is why so many things have been pasteurized for humans. And now maybe we're going to get into the rest of this century where it's almost hard to even comprehend and envision what might happen in the rest of this century as hopefully we're going to be introduced to some of the other intelligences that share in this universe. So Ian, I find it exciting and I'm curious about what other people are saying now. Okay, well, we've got a lot of um, people talking as well now about the Shroud of Turin, and I'm reminded as well about that case in Brazil that you investigated where there was a, a bright flash of light, light that had also left a mark. Yes. Um, tell me exactly which, which there's... <laughs> There's more than you, one. You saw, you saw the guy who who had an abduction experience or something, and uh, there was a, a, a light, and it had left marks on the on uh, some clothing or bed sheets or something. Oh, oh, oh! Uh, yes, 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 yes. And this goes back to February of uh, two thousand, and I think it was ten, uh, two, ten, somewhere in that first decade. And this was fascinating because it gets into the question of what are the frequencies that non-humans in very advanced technologies are using and why with some people do they do what they did with Uringer Oliveira, it was the name of the farmer. And I was invited to stay at his farm for nearly two weeks and worked with fellow farmers and uh, people who had been investigating the case and it, here's uh, the short form, um, married, children, his uh, parents, all were on this farm, a, a definite, humble, uh, beautiful place, but that's what it was. It was a family-owned and run farm. And I don't remember now what the time is uh, when it began, but the whole case with all the photographs, everything is in my earthfiles.com news website that I am hoping that people will realize is a gigantic archive with all kinds of documentation. And on this particular case, uh, it, it, this is all there, 
uh, it's in several parts, all the photographs, what happened. And he had laid down on a bed, I believe it was like late afternoon or early evening. And the next thing that he knew is that he opened his eyes and he was, he, it was as if he said, it, I was looking through a circle of fog that would be like the color of magenta or a pinkish red or a violet. And he's inside and he knows that he's rising up from the bed and he can't stop, he can't move, he's in this beam. And then he remained conscious as he got, it was an all wood ceiling. And as he got to the ceiling, he said, and all of this, he spoke Portuguese. And so I was going through translators. Um, the way the translator explained what he felt, he said it was like having a thousand feathers on his entire body as he went through the ceiling and he was aware, totally conscious that what he was feeling was related to going through the wood. He had that concept. Then he came out, he's up in the air, and I remember it was dark, it was uh, after the sun had set, and now he's over the, his house, he can, still can't yell or do anything, and he sees this huge, big, round silver craft and the beam just continues and takes him. Now he drew for me, and all of his illustrations are at my website, earthfiles.com. The beings were blonde, blue-eyed, extremely white-skinned, wore sort of jumpsuits, and they took him five different times up to when I was there and left. They had taken him five times. And this is one of the interesting details that your and Jira Oliveira told me. They would show him different things. They would download information into his head. And I, I believe this was on one of his first abductions. He either thought, I have to go to the bathroom, or said out loud. And they motioned to a place in the wall where they touched their hands and something went and there was a, like a round, it was like a round room with a kind of roundish device. He didn't recognize anything, but they telepathically showed him in his mind's eye what he was to do. And he said at first, it wasn't like humans on earth are used to what toilets and sinks and running water and flushing and all of that is about. It, for him, it was like that he was uh, to urinate in open, empty air and that whatever this round thing was in the floor would have something, but he didn't understand because he wasn't looking at water or anything. But he kept getting this telepathic movie and then he said, it just all turned to air. He said, this is Portuguese, English translation. There's, there's no liquid because everything turned to air. He said, I never understood it, but that's how it worked. It, there was no muss, no fuss, no water, no bacterias build up. It was just a direction and whatever this thing was on the floor handled everything that was happening. And I remember him laughing about that with me and with the Portuguese translator and others uh, because it was to him just so vivid, it was real. And he was laughing at himself and at the situation that basically we're dealing with beings that don't do much of anything the way we do and they are very advanced. And after that night, on the bedspread where he had been lying, and in the wood ceiling where he had described going through, was an imprint like a, a 
dark shadow. And it was the same thing. It was cotton, but it was only the upper fibrioles that were discolored. And he allowed, Uringer allowed me to package that blanket and take it with me in a suitcase back to Philadelphia where I lived at the time. And I took it uh, to one of the outstanding labs that dealt with textiles in Philadelphia. And we laid it all out and they did magnifying. They took some things, they did some tests. And the report is in my earthfiles.com news website, the series of reports that I did, I think it was 2002. Um, you'll see all of this. And they concluded, the textile lab gave me a report and said that they had no technology, they did had no understanding of how the body was put on the 100% cotton blanket in only the upper, upper fibril. And I talked with the man at the textile uh, lab about the Shroud of Turin, the fact that that linen, that the discoloration was only in the upper fibrils. And here's this cotton from Brazil uh, and the same kind of thing with the body. And then in the ceiling, the print was like looking at a permanent shadow of the body that reflected from the top of the bedsheet up through the wood. And he allowed me to get splinters. Uh, we got a ladder and I got up and I told him I wasn't gonna hurt his ceiling. I just wanted to take enough that uh, I could see like in animal mutilations where we always found evidence of high heat in a lot of excisions would there be any evidence of any molecular change or anything that would relate to the frequency of a beam, heat, or whatever. So he allowed me to do all of that and take that precious blanket and do that work at the lab. And then I sent it all, everything back to him, uh, Federal Express, so it's back where he is, was. And when you think about how many Uringir Oliveras could be on this planet of 8 billion people right now, meaning people who have consciously gone up in beams, communicated totally consciously with advanced intelligences, who have had physical evidence, who have drawn, illustrated, how many, how many of the 8 billion people on earth now have had a kind of one-way handshake with other intelligences? And ask yourself that when you're looking at that James Webb photograph of, they estimated it was, could have been one, two trillion galaxies implied in that a beautiful shot that I love so much and use. And think about if there were a trillion, a trillion galaxies in this universe, and that each galaxy has trillions of stars, suns of plasma. There's got to be a reason why a lot of other beings are very interested in our planet. And I've been told it's because we are an experiment and that the experiment is not done. So. That is the exact, that's the, the exact question that's in the audience tonight is, are we an experiment? Yes. Uh, Katie Hyatt says, I've read a great book on transition from life into death. And since I've read it, I've had a heightened awareness. I've been hearing a knocking and a clock sound. It's odd and unfamiliar. A clock sound? Like a ticking clock? Yeah, she says she hears a knocking and a clock sound. It's like she has a heightened awareness. I wonder if she means like a lot of people that I have been calling me, writing me, probably starting two months ago. I think there is a beginning time to it. It was, it was before the New Year. But it's the same sense. Everybody's 
trying to come up with metaphors for what they're feeling. And it is a kind of sense, I have it too, that I was talking with Brad about this earlier. It is as if I feel that something gigantic is like being held, held at bay, and that there's a, a sense of something that is almost vibrating to explode somehow into our reality. But that equally strong is something that is holding off. And that there is a sense of feeling of complete wonderment over the battle of two opposing energies that feel so strong when I don't know what the battle would be about. I don't understand the sense that our time, our very timeline or timelines have really been manipulated in the since before COVID, that it started before COVID. And today, if you've got three or four extraterrestrial civilizations, all of them sophisticated, all of them able to uh, manipulate time, travel light years in very short times because they know how to go into the quantum deep tunneling of the universe and go light years in minutes. If something about this tension this feeling that something is just, you know, like if you were like that, and it's palpable and humans are sensing it. What is behind it? And a, a person called me two days ago and was talking about exactly this same subject. And I said, um, if you have a dream, if you, ha if you have repeating dreams, seriously, everyone, all of you know, in any country, do this. If you have a dream that repeats and you think it has something to do with this sense that we are at some kind of a very strange moment on this planet Earth as if we're in a holding cell. And if you are having dreams about, it could be, I'm not going to fill in, I'm just going to say if you're having dreams that you think are associated with high strangeness and possibly other intelligences. Sketch what you see in your mind's eye. Sketch it and then write it down and date it and time it. And that at least you will start interacting with your own mind, your own soul. And one of the things that I have been told over the 43, now 44 years that I have been trying to understand this huge hall of mirrors with a quicksand floor when you do talk to another person who is not judging you in any way, when you do write down, when you do illustrate, when you do all those together, it tends to start diffusing the built up energy inside of yourself when you're faced with the unknown. And so writing, keeping notes and illustrations would help all of us if we would do it on a regular basis. And then you have something that is at least dated with a time, and then depending upon what happens, there's a comparison point. So Ian, on that, I, I pray every single day to the thought that dwells in the light. And I, I do so with a feeling that the thought that dwells in the light is the key, is the absolute profound key to every one of our soul's existence. And I think that if we were relating to our inner self, to our fellow beings, and to what we ask for help and guidance as being something that has always through infinity, its profound link is always to the light. And there's something else that wants to counter it. Don't feed anything to that which wants to counter the light. Do everything you can to increase your relationship and strength with the light. Okay, Ian. Thank you. Uh, we've got 
Janetta Chacon is here in the chat tonight. She says, I'm new to your podcast. I love the work you do. When you've interviewed the abductors, had they seen any UFOs before they were abducted? It is a good question, sort of like uh, chicken and egg, which comes first? Seeing a UFO or not seeing a UFO and being abducted and then seeing a UFO. Um, I would say my mind has been, I'm seeing all kinds of papers and typed and handwriting and audio cassettes people send. I'm seeing like a, a rush, a flood of the thousands and thousands and thousands of communications that I've had since 1979. And the truth is, not that it's statistically evidentiary because I have not done anything to make it evidence, but the very question, what pops into my head is, I think that most of the abductees have not seen UFOs before their abductions. Then after an abduction, that's when it seems to me that things start happening or they see a light over the tree or uh, something following in the car. And the two plus two simple deduction is humans must be watched, monitored, blood types, genetic history, lifetimes going back, Jim Sparks, uh, who wrote uh, the book, The Keeper, he had a, a, like a, an entire education with grays. They were small and larger. And he knew that the AI, that the little ones were AI and the bigger ones were really powerful. But they took him on like teaching him like a student. And he, the first thing was that he had not seen a UFO. He had seen footprints on the carpet where he lived in Florida. But after they come and start taking him and they start showing him, here's the life you led here. This is what you did on this. Here's a challenge that you had. It was all having to do with historic lives and what he was going to do in this life. And eventually, after quite a long time, one day he was driving home and he saw, he said, Linda, it looked exactly like an ice cream cone in the sky. And I told him, I said, you are the first and only person in an abduction category that I've ever heard describe the ice cream cone. But Jim, I have had people who work in military and intel who have drawn for me different craft that go with different types. And you know what? That ice cream cone is on that tablet that I have. And the association of the ice cream cone is with reptilians. Well, Jim, at that point, had only had interactions with the large gray that was uh, demanding that he learn numbers and uh, letters in the gray world. And Jim had not had conscious uh, memory of seeing a craft or being taken. It was always taken out of a bedroom, paralyzed, and not seeing where he was going until the ice cream cone showed up. Well, then it turns out that Jim ends up doing one of, I think it's one of the better illustrations of one of the events that happened. And he's got like a dozen tall eight foot reptilians and they're communicating to him telepathically that a series of things are going to happen on this planet and that the climate is going to be bad 
And Jim began uh, contacting a lot of people saying, we have to do something about global warming. We've got to save the rainforest in Brazil. That's what he began to be absolutely obsessed about. We have to save the rainforest in Brazil. So I would say from these four and a half decades that I have the impression that thousands maybe in the millions, but certainly thousands of people have had interactions in this high strangeness and that a lot of them have always ended up with, I must do this. This must be saved. This must be. And when you look at the last four or five decades in that context, maybe more of the non-humans have been trying to help us than we know. But it is not clear, and I know from insiders that most of the power broker agencies on this planet do not trust any of the non-humans. And that's going to have to be the big step that would happen if we do get the announcement this spring that we're not alone because there are biological signatures. That doesn't mean humanoids, that just means biological signatures, but we get there, maybe, maybe uh, the noose around everybody's neck on the real info will be loosened. But I'm not so sure because it really is a high strangeness hall of mirrors with a quicksand floor. But we humans, Homo sapiens sapien, seem to be of great importance to some of them. And maybe they will show up, declare where they're from, and there will be some kind of dialogue without fear. And if that happened, I really do think that we as a species would become stronger and not so violent with each other. But we have a long road to go and something is at work on this planet that is leaving a, tr a tremendous sense of tension. And how is that going to break open? I don't know. Okay, Ian. Let's do the super chats this evening. So in reverse order, we've got Mark Subrion, Biddy K. Blue, Whisper of Love, Caroline Boyce, Terry D, Patty London, Christina Ledesma Jimenez, Tie-Dye Chris, Judy Graham, and Moonbird. And Judy Graham says, do you think hybrid beings will attend any of our ET-type exploration conferences like Contact in the Desert? And that is a serious question because I, I have heard myself from people who have encountered people that they consider to be perhaps uh, non-humans at conferences. I think that hybrids have been on this planet for several thousand years. We are Homo sapiens sapien is one experiment. Other experiments have been going on, let's say, since the crossfade with Neanderthalensis. That was 45,000 years ago, give or take. So Cro-Magnon Homo sapiens sapien in this current form, 45,000. In the 45,000 years up to tonight, February 1, 2023, I think that there have been 1,000 more experiments, that hybrids of all kinds have been made, perhaps extracted to other solar systems, under bases here, the moon, Ganymede, Mars is a big question mark about what in the heck all is there in Mars underground, and that the hybridization issue is not 20, 20th century, 21st century. The hybrid, in many ways, it could be that that has been going on for 270 million years as the 
defense intelligence agency analyst told me uh, at that meeting that I've shared with you in December of 1999, the single most mind-pivotal meeting of my entire life and career, and that if you said how big was the landscape that he presented, it was 270 million years of three competing extraterrestrial civilizations fighting with each other, but not with the bow and arrows and bullets that we, we do. They, they compete with each other in conflict that can involve uh, mixing and matching time, changing time, uh, all kinds of things that we would have a hard time comprehending. But all three, as the DIA man laid out, all three were doing what would be genetic experiments with Homo sapiens sapien. The three were in conflict with each other that they would had the ability to camouflage. Uh, there is something about the extraterrestrial, whether it's in holoforms or uh, something else, they have the ability to come and look to us as anything that they want. And the DIA analyst said the reptilians could look like blondes or grays, the grays could look like blondes or reptilians, uh, the reptilians and around and around, and that they could mix, match, be among us, we would never ever know. I think that is the same today in 2022, except that our governments on the planet, at least some of them, I think have pretty good details on frequency signatures and they know who is where, underground, in the mountains, underwater, in the moon, wherever they, they, they know pretty well where things are. But knowing where things are doesn't mean that you know exactly what the goals are. And we're in that strange transition where so many people are feeling that something is really amiss. Something is really struggling to do something here. And that I just say to you, I hope you will join me every morning with your face, with the sun on it, wherever there's sun and ask for the thought that dwells in that light to strengthen your soul, to strengthen your body, to strengthen your mind and everyone you know and love and to help this planet heal. I love you guys. I'll see you next week.
Thanks for listening to this Earth Files podcast from the edges of science, environment, and real X-Files. Go to www.earthfiles.com to see more than a thousand Earth Files reports with photographs, drawings, and documents. And visit Earth Files every day, every week, for new reports and new podcasts. That's www.earthfiles.com. Thank <laughs> you.